right. We are starting a new series today uh, in the book of Daniel, and uh, I'm excited about that. I think uh, uh, we're going to learn a lot through this. The next five weeks, we're going to be just camping out in this book. It's a book from the Old Testament. It's a prophetic book. It's also a true story of uh, people who encounter and survive a dramatic culture shift. I don't know if you've noticed, <laughs> uh, Captain Obvious, culture has shifted. Anybody? And if you're over 30 years old, you're kind of shocked by it, a little bit, right? I don't know if there's, uh, that's, a, that's a good line to me. I mean, anybody that's kind of been around, it, it not only has culture shifted, it's also been kind of dramatic how quickly it seems. When's the last time you just kind of looked around and went, wow, things have really changed in our culture? And uh, it can be really hard to keep up with. Um, and right in front of our eyes, it seems like things are changing. And, uh, you know, it can be really discouraging sometimes for a person of faith, for a person that is trying to live for God. And when you love Jesus and you have a faith and, and you want to walk it out before God and you feel like the culture is almost downright hostile towards you sometimes. I mean... Not only hostile, it's, it's like it even stands against what you might be believing, and it might question it, it might disagree with it, but here's the question, if you've ever struggled, how do you live out your faith in an increasingly hostile culture? Daniel wanted to answer that question. Daniel had to live that out. He was exiled, and we're going to talk about how that happened and what that means. Probably he was transported into probably the most wicked city and dominant culture that up to that point the world had ever known. Temptation and intimidation ran deep. So how did he stand strong in a culture of compromise? How, how did Daniel do it? How did Daniel become tough as nails? <laughs> and that's what we're going to be talking about today. The question is, when culture shifts, will you shift with it? When culture shifts, what are you going to do? We've kind of come full circle from where we started with today. Is like, as for me, I am going to worship God. What am I going to do? So we see and we live in a broken world who pretends to know who they are. Our culture pretends to know. In fact, they want to be the expert. And then they want to tell you who you should be. <laughs> but they don't and they can't. They are confused, and I would say that we have a cultural identity crisis on a grand scale, but they're not selling you that. They're not selling you confusion. They are, they're telling you that this is the way you should live your life. We're the ones who really know what's going on, and, and we've got to put it together. We've got it together. So they feel, and maybe, uh, maybe some of you have felt this way, that they just feel free to define yourself you know, this is who you are. You need to, you, you be you. You ever heard that? You be you. And uh, you need to be you, and you better love it. And when you be you, you better be a you that looks like me. <laughs> really. And we get to choose, you know, our own identity. And you get to choose what and who you want to be, and then celebrate that. But here's the truth. As a follower of Christ and a child of God, Guess what? I've already been defined by God. 
He's the one that's defined me. He's the one that's written the script of my life. And so I don't get the privilege to change that in any way. I get the opportunity to lean into what God has created me to be. I get the opportunity to say, Jesus, I want to be everything you've created me to be, and there are limits on how I can reinvent myself. Because God says, I know who you are. In fact, one place he says, you are my workmanship. You're my masterpiece. I have created you with specific things in mind, and his design is always so much better than anything I could come up with. So I know I've just kind of jumped right in the deep end of the pool right here, but that's kind of the way it is. It's a little bit confusing. But Daniel understood this. And Daniel uh, understood the core of this truth, and he had to live it out in real time. So let's look into this book. If you're reading the book of Daniel, if you want to know where Daniel fits chronologically in the story of God's people, you remember that Genesis, Exodus brings people The people of God, the Hebrew people are established. They're brought out of Egypt. They're established into the land of Israel. And then they're established kings. Remember, King Saul started off, and then everybody knows about King David and King Solomon. That was really the height of God-honoring people. And then after that, we see that the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles is the retelling of the same thing. At the end of the book of Kings, at the end of the book of Chronicles, that's where uh, Daniel would fit in the book of Jeremiah, right in that space right there. And like I said, when we read about the kings of Israel, David and Solomon, after them, their prodigies, if you will, their, their line, their children, the kings after them were kind of up and down. They were kind of all over the place. And then God would send prophets to warn and train and preach and cry and say, please come back to God. Don't follow the path that leads you away from God. And over and over he warns them and it seems like it just is spiraling out of control. And finally it comes to a point where God says, guess what? You've become more evil than the people I put out of here to put you in. And what we find is the nation is split into two. And Jerusalem and the southern kingdom, the part that David ruled with the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they reside in that part, and then the other 10 tribes are in northern Israel, and what we find is Syria comes in and conquers them and takes them away. And then we see that Egypt has kind of begun to rule over the whole area again, and at this point, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in from Babylon, Their culture has become so dominant. Their their armies have become so absolutely uh, uh, dominant and and oppressive. They come through, they conquer Egypt, and on their way home, they say, hey, let's take out Jerusalem. And he ends up coming back not only once, twice, three times. And by the time King Nebuchadnezzar is done with the city of Jerusalem and the country of, or the, the, the section of Judah, He's destroyed not only the city, but the temple that they created to worship God in. And what we see now is how a hostile culture can swallow up a group of people and reprogram them to be just like their culture. It's almost (laughs) kind of like what we're living today. And it's interesting. 
we see in Daniel chapter one how Babylon has taken away the best and the brightest and everyone that had skill away to Babylon and left poor, a few poor scared farmers just to kind of tend things in a broken and, and damaged city. So let's start Daniel chapter one, verse one. It says, during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, that's the last king of Israel, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia, which would be modern-day Iraq, and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now, things are going to change in a huge way for these people. They're going to be assimilated into a foreign and pagan culture. The culture in Babylon is strong, it's pagan, it's idol-worshiping, and their way of conquering nations was similar to others. This is a pattern you would see over and over in these times, in these first centuries, and where you would see a, a dominant culture would come in and assimilate another one and make them and, and kind of almost brainwash them into their own way of living life. They would assimilate them into their culture, into their beliefs. They're really imprinting their values onto them. Like I said, it's, it's brainwashing, 101. And over a period of time, they begin to cast a shadow over everything that the Israelis and the Hebrew people believed about God. And it's interesting, what they do is the first things they do is they want to change their identity. They want to change their name. The title of this message today is called, What's in a Name? And we see this in verse three. It said, then king, the king ordered Aphanaz, the chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families, okay? So he's taken the best of the best. And... He selected only strong and healthy and good-looking young men. And he said, make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, that they are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and they are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and the literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of the food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they would enter into the royal service. So we're gonna focus in on four of these individuals. There's a whole group of these young men, but four of them, it says in verse six, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen from all of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of staff renamed them with Babylonian names. You might remember this part. Daniel was then called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was changed to Shadrach, Mishael was changed to Meshach, and Azariah was changed to Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that old fiery furnace? Okay, so you're tracking with me. This is where it is. Even though it was customary for captors to change their names of the servants, what, what they're doing, why they do this? Well, they're, they're, they're showing ownership. Basically, we own you now. And these young men, Daniel was most likely 
of 16 to 19 years old. They were young men. Like I said, they were the brightest. They want to get into the young people. They want to get into the future generation and get their imprint on the future generation. They want to affect generations by getting into the young people, imprinting, brainwashing young people. We've never heard of that, have we? I'm telling you, this is, we're living this. And they change their names and they give them new Babylonian names. And they aren't just like nicknames. They were intentionally given names to completely change their Hebrew identity. And what we're gonna find is they're a form of mockery of who they were and these new names basically are trying to turn the truth that they know inside out. And if you look at the meaning, I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you go and look at the meaning of the names that they were changed to, the meaning of the names, you can kind of see the strategy that the enemy is employing here. And I would continue today that the same strategy that our enemy, same enemy, is affecting us today and in our culture, they want to label us with new names and really they can lie about our own identity. So the very first thing that culture will do when it shifts to pull you away from God is to rename you. And what we see here in the Babylonian process, Daniel is a Hebrew name, and his name in Hebrew means God is my judge. But Belteshazzar, the Roman, or excuse me, the, the Babylonian name means this, lady protect the king. True story. Isn't that interesting? His gender even changed in the name. From God is my judge to now you serve a human ruler. Oh, come on, Dave, that's a little bit too far, really? I mean, come on, you know, it's like, okay, you're reading too much into this, but how many times does our culture want to question your identity? How many times you heard, you're not a real man unless you, you're not a real woman unless you look like this? And that's what culture wants to do. It wants to define what we need to be, and it wants to question our identity. I want to compare this and contrast this to a God who says, I know who you are. I've created you for things that are gonna make you the best, things that are gonna lead you into peace, things that are gonna bring the best out of you. And we see this taking place right here. And then Hananiah's Hebrew name meant Yahweh has been gracious. His name was changed to Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. From God is gracious to me to God is something to be feared. And Mishael, whose name means, I love the, name, the, the, the meaning of Mishael's name, is who can compare to my God? No one. That's what his name means. But Meshach means I am despised and shameful before God. So do you see how each one of these names is turning God's identity into something it's not? by changing their names and their identities and reconditioning how God is literally to be perceived. Is God loving? Is God approachable? No, he's something to be feared. He's something that you should be ashamed in front of. <laughs> Let me just say that I think one of the biggest enemies 
or one of the biggest tools in the enemy's box is to use shame in your life to make you feel like you should be ashamed of who you are. Now, now I'm not saying, you know, you know, the truth is inside you. I'm just saying that we have a God who loves us, a God who went to the lengths of giving his own son to save you. God loves you. He cares about you. He, he knows who you are. But if the enemy can get you to feel shame, he can keep you from even approaching God. And then Azariah, his Hebrew name was God has helped. Abednego literally means servant of Nebo. Who's Nebo? Well, he was one of the Babylonian gods. No longer do you serve God. Now you're serving our gods. So let's not just twist the character of God. Let's replace him altogether. Let's make our own gods. No more do we follow a standard or keep the laws of the one true God. No, no. He's been replaced by man-made gods. You don't serve God anymore. You're going to serve the king. When culture shifts, you must remember who God says you are. When culture shifts, you've got to dial into who God says you are. And we live in a culture with a belief system that you make your own life, right? You be you. You, you ever heard this? Speak your own truth, right? You live your best life. Express it any way you want. The weirder, the better. And I don't want to rail and sound like the old man, get off my lawn. <laughs> I was talking to my daughter the other day, and her daughter, junior high, in school, they form groups of students to sit together and affirm one another on who they are. And one of them in the group, she, uh, she was a furry, she said. I never heard of that. I'm too old. Some of the kids are going, you never heard of a furry? Yeah. She's a furry. So it's like, oh, well, I affirm your furriness. I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, and then he's, you know, sometimes you can tell, okay, you're taking it too far. What, what, is it, what does it hurt to change a name? What, are, what does it matter how I'm known? Isn't that up to me? Well, let me tell you, if you take on the name that God hasn't given you, you're gonna miss the life that God has for you. To change what we know about God is to change our belief in his plan for us and what is best. The culture then and now wants to make it really foolish to depend on a God and especially principles from a Bible. There's an effort to make it irrelevant to my life or to discredit its truths and its principles. Anything that says this is truth and this is the way it is from, say, the Bible becomes hate speech and judgmental. And what happens is that the world can intimidate us for what we believe. You need to keep your, your faith private, you know? You, you need to be shamed in the silence of this, right? And we become more apologetic than we are evangelistic. Now, I'm not talking about becoming the obnic, uh, let, me, let me say my words correctly. Obnoxious Christian that's up in everybody's face. But I'm saying culture can make you want to step back instead of stand up for who God has called us to be. 
I'm talking about letting the noise and intimidation from our culture get more time than what we know who God is and what God says we are and his purpose for us as his children. Sometimes we can be more worried about what people think than what God desires. And this isn't new. I mean, this has been happening for a long time. And it seems like they want us to go along just to get along. It's interesting, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul kind of creates this and, and introduces this concept of not just letting the world form you into what it wants you to be. You maybe you heard the scripture, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Literally, that's a word picture of being pressed into a mold. So what Paul is saying, don't let the world, don't let the culture press you into the mold of what it wants to shape you, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or I like this translation in the NLT. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn how to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. God's identity for you is good and pleasing and perfect. I love that. Now, I was, as I was studying this, I was thinking, and I know that if you've had children, you're a parent, you're gonna, you're gonna track with me a little more on this. But if you're a parent, and maybe your, your kids are grown or they've gone through teenage years, you might recall or notice the first time that another person or another parent seems to have influence on your child. I don't know if you know about it. There's, there comes a time when all of a sudden mom and dad aren't cool anymore. In fact, mom and dad don't know much at all. Anybody, you know what I'm saying? But isn't it amazing that their friend's parents are genius? You know? Well, Jim's dad says this, and he knows everything. It's just like, who's Jim's dad? You know, well, Sarah's mom told me that And sometimes you can just feel, I remember the first time very, very clearly when I was talking to one of my daughters and one of her very close friends and, and the mom was very involved in their relationship and she had a different value system than us. She just did. And I was picking up this influence on my own child from someone else and I was just like, what is going on? I had to pray for wisdom on how to handle that, but I'm telling you, there comes a point when you go, who told you that? Do you know who you are? Do you know who we are? I wonder, sometimes God's looking over going, are you kidding me? A furry? Are you kidding me? Or as parents, or maybe you're an uncle or an aunt and the time your niece or nephew or your child comes home and someone has spoke something about them about who they are and it's cut them, you're dumb, you're slow, you're fat, you're not like us and you see that wound it puts in your child's heart and it kills you as a parent because you see the pain that's been put in there and you know that it's not the truth and that influence should not be there I think 
how do you think God must feel? And I look at, at the same time that Daniel was experiencing this, the prophet of Jeremiah was a contemporary and writing, and in Jeremiah 1.5, God said this to Jeremiah about his calling. He says, before I knew you, before I formed you in your mother's womb, before you were born, I set you apart. God knew what he was doing. God created the plan. How many know that God being eternal, God being omnipresent and omniscient, he knows. He has no beginning, he has no end. It gives you a headache when you try to think about it. But the Bible says, before you were even thought of, before your parents were even thought of, God only knew who you would be, but he had a plan and a unique path for your life. Think about that. That's a powerful thing. Well, that's great, God, but what are my friends going to think about this, right? That's the human part of it. And that's all well and good, but you know what the latest trends are? (laughs) I'm afraid I won't fit in if I don't follow this kind of standard or identity. Or I might seem too conservative. Hmm. I'm just putting stuff out. You don't have to pick it all up. I'm just... (laughs) And I know this is kind of heavy, sorry. I need to insert a joke here. So a priest, a rabbi, and a... No, <laughs> but, you know, think about the peer pressure we live in. We all live in this peer pressure because culture sets the standard. And if any of you have a smartphone, which you kind of going to wonder why they call it a smartphone, but really, we're, it's, it, doesn't, it conditions us. And I have a phone. And believe me, I probably spend too much time looking through... And then you begin to see the identify of like, this is the kind of man I should be, or this is the kind of people. And then we begin to label things, you know, maybe you're a redneck, maybe you're a plus size, maybe you're, you're just a blonde, maybe you're disabled, maybe you're too tall or not tall enough, you're too dark, you're too light. You don't drive a car in a correct way. You know, just, maybe I am weird. Maybe we'll never be accepted by the culture, but do you see this? It all starts it all starts by trying to change your identity and to say, you, we need to rename you into what we think you should be when God says, before this world even started, I had a name for you. I had an identity for you. I have a plan for you to live out that's gonna be so much greater than anything you could try to think of. How many examples <laughs> do we need of people that take on their life and are self-made men and women and just mess it up, you know? Add millions of dollars, add you know unlimited resources, and add li- and just watch them, man. It's like you know we just see them crashing all over the place. The names and transforms people, and it's interesting we see that through the word that God does relabel some people. Like Saul, he changed into Paul, and Simon, he changed to Peter, and Abram, he changed into Abraham. But it fits into his overall purpose of what he had for them to do. I heard this great statement the other day while studying for this, and it said this. God doesn't see what you are based on where you are now. He sees what you can become based on where he wants to take you. Ooh, that's good. Let me say it again. God doesn't see you based on where you are now. He sees what you can become based on where he wants to take you. So what does Daniel do? He has to make a stand. I mean, you think his, his options are very small because culture will test you. It will. Part of 
the training of those captured, these trainees, not only changing their names, but they, they were going to be fed from the very king's table, food and wine. The food was not culture, kosher. In fact, it was probably food that had been offered to idols. The wine was not any wine. It was like royal wine, so it was pretty potent stuff. So let's just keep you a little inebriated. Let's just keep you a little softened up so you'll just be easy to steer. And literally, they want to desensitize them to what's going on. Hmm. And so we see in verse 8, but Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And watch, how, watch his response. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat this unacceptable food. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine and if you become pale and thin compared to the other, if you look different than everybody else, I'm afraid the king is gonna have me beheaded. But Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after both Daniel and Hanani and Michelle and Azariah. And he said, please test us for 10 days. Please just test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Anybody heard of the Daniel fast? <laughs> Thank you very little, right? <laughs> he could have thrown in a hamburger, but no. He's got to say, you know, vegetables. Okay, so. And at, look at this. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the young, other young men. Just, just test us. Let's just experiment with this a little bit. And then you make a decision in light of what you see. The attendants agreed, and Daniel suggested and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. Let me tell you what. When culture shifts, we need to respond, but in the right way. Look at how Daniel does this. He doesn't become obnoxious. He doesn't make a picket sign. He doesn't jump up into somebody's face. But at the same time, he's determined not to compromise his beliefs. But he does it in the right way. And you know what? You can be right and be very unattractive. But I don't think God has called us just to be right. He's called us to be effective. And so we see that Daniel asked for permission. Now, I understand that sometimes in certain situations, this is not going to be a possibility. But what we see here is a great lesson. When there was an objection, he just asked for an opportunity. Ten days. And at the end, it said, they, ten, they proved to be ten times better. You know, there is in the past, and I'm going to go old school on you for just a minute, there was a lot more focus on what we couldn't do. I was raised in one of those homes where it was pretty clear what you couldn't do, right? We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't go with girls that do. I don't know, I don't, I don't think that was ever spoken, but you know what I'm saying. And I went to one of those churches, I was raised where there was a, I, I like to say this, if it was fun, it was sin, right? You know, it's, it kept me out of a lot of trouble, it really did. It saved me from a lot of trouble, right? But, you know, I know some of you say, well, that can lead to legalism and not to freedom, but you know what, there are some things that we're okay with today that I, I don't think we're better for it. Paul put it this way, all things are lawful, but all things aren't expedient. Let me say this, you know, it's not about what you eat or drink, 
That's the problem. Jesus came to give you life and freedom, but all things aren't going to make you better. <laughs> I can do it. I think maybe that needs a litmus test. You know, I can do this, but is it going to make me better? I can do this, but is it, is it going to bring me closer to Jesus? I can really do this, and maybe there's no law or something against it, but am I going to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what my purpose is for me? And when culture shifts, I need to resolve not to compromise. Here's the real question that we need to ask ourselves. Will I, will I change my surroundings or will they change me? Or like this, will I change my world or will I let my world change me? So what's in a name when culture shifts? It's gonna try to change your identity. And we live in a culture that's having... <laughs> an identity crisis in a huge way and almost like an unbelievably comical way, but it's not funny. We've got to check our identity. It's who we are in Christ. It's who God says we are. That's the only thing that's going to count for eternity. And we're going to be tested. And so this first six chapters of the book of Daniel is really about a lot of tests I love how Rick Warren says, life is a test and a trust. But what we're going to see in here is the test, test of worship. Who are you going to worship? Who are you going to serve? There's going to be tests of like lion's dens. There's going to be tests of grace and truth. The truth is, culture is going to try to rename us. But we've got to resolve not to compromise. We've got to focus on who Christ says we are. He has created you. Like I said, we are his masterpiece. We are his creation, created in Christ for a special purpose that he has designed just for us. It's what God says about you that matters. And man, when my kids would come home and I would see the wounds of people that would say things that cut and hurt, what's the first thing we would do is begin to reaffirm who we know they are. No, 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 that's not right. You're beautiful. We love you. This is your family. We see the gift that you are to us. Maybe you didn't receive that from your home. I know that not every family was that way. I know that breaks the heart of God. So that's why if we're not getting it from home, we gotta look to God. What does God say about, you know what? He calls you free. He calls you loved. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you healed. He calls you protected from the world around you. He calls you into relationship with him. Jesus sees you. God has your identity in his hand. And it's the best possible life for you. And I would just say today, if, you're, if you feel confused right now, and if culture is confused, or you're just feeling confused about who you are, we would love to talk with you. There's people that would love to talk with you. I want to make myself available to you. I know that these issues aren't easily changed. Sometimes you've got to dig in, but I'm telling you that God has an identity for your life. He knows who he created you to be. But the truth is, life can be overwhelming. Culture and its influence can be so strong in its pull but guess what? Jesus covered that too. What did he say? In this world, you will have trouble. 
In this world, you will have pressure. In this world, you're gonna have a lot of things you don't understand. But the caveat of this whole thing, he didn't stop there. He said, but fear not. Be of good cheer, fear not. Don't be afraid of this thing because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. There's gonna be a day when we stand before Jesus and we're gonna know and be known. And that day, we're gonna figure it all out and we're gonna understand because I'm telling you, up until that point, I'll just be honest with you, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. I can't figure it out, man. I'm just like, wow. This is so backwards, I can't even figure it out. Or God, how, What's the answer to this? I, sometimes, but there'll be a day when I stand before Jesus and if I've leaned into him and if I've allowed him to create the identity and if I've leaned into the identity he has for my life, I'm gonna have to be afraid because he's overcome it and I will stand with him. And you know, at the end of the book, in Revelation, the ultimate thing, it says God's gonna give us a name that nobody knows but us. Jesus goes, I got a name for you. Between you and me, he's gonna tell you what it is. It's gonna be good. And every time Jesus sees you in eternity, he's gonna wink at you. And that'll be the signal. He knows your name. He knows that name. It's like just you and me, man. Nobody else knows. Billions of people in heaven, nobody else knows. Just you and me, just you and me. And I long for that, but that's available. Would you pray with me today? Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that no, how, no matter how strong and crazy culture would be, you've overcome the world. No matter how much they want to relabel who we are, or relabel what's up and what's down and what's right and what's dark and what's light, God, you have an identity for us. You have a created path for us. You have a plan for us that you can even take the bad things that we stumble into and create them and turn them around for our good because your plan is that great. Your path is that amazing. And God, I just pray right now that as we walk through this incredible book of prophecy, of this true story of these young men that had to navigate through this culture, God, that we would learn from it, that we would gain strength from it, to know that when culture shifts, we don't have to shift with it. When culture tries to we rename us, we can lean into what you say about us and we can look to you for the answer and we can lean into that and know that no matter what happens, nothing's gonna snatch us out of your hand. Nobody can rename what you've already purposed for our life and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And just as we're in this moment of prayer, I know there's a lot of angst in this world today and it seems like every time you look up it's gotten crazier and maybe that would just be the first prayer that I want to focus on today that God would just give you peace in this anxious time maybe that God would give you just the ability to trust him and not be afraid because even though it might not look like it God is going to overcome this all and maybe you would just say Dave I just need would you just pray for me that I could have peace in the middle of this craziness. I need that. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give us peace for every person in this room, those watching online. God, I pray, God, you would give us peace that passes understanding. And God, you would help us to stand and do everything to stand in your love, in your will, in a culture that's going 90 miles an hour in the wrong way. God, give us peace and give us strength. Maybe in the room today and you don't have an ongoing relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's been something that 
you've neglected and you found yourself kind of drifting away. We all drift. And maybe you just put your head up and say, wow, I'm a long ways from Jesus. I'm just telling you, today is an incredible day. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. No matter how far you've walked away from Jesus, it's only one step back. And maybe you would just turn your attention and maybe your prayer would be, Jesus, I'm too far from you right now. God, come into my life. Bring that divine identity. God, bring that freedom that I need so desperately. Forgive me for where I've been and what I've done. Help me to follow you. Be my leader. Be my friend. Be the person that I trust in a world full of noise. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wow, I know it was a little heavy today, but uh, we're gonna gonna learn from, oh, okay, there you go. I really don't care what you think about me. That's not true. I believe Jesus is gonna speak to us. Would you stand with me today? And uh, one thing we're trying to do at Family Life Church is find people a place not only to participate in a, in a group like this, in a, in a community like this, but find you a place to, to serve. I heard this, in a church, everybody needs a friend and a job. <laughs> and maybe God's been speaking to your heart on serving in some way. Well, we're trying to ramp up and, and, and really rebuild the way we identify volunteers and find you a place that fits for you. A lot of times you think, well, they want me to serve, so they're gonna stick me with a bunch of three-year-olds till Jesus comes. And, you know. <laughs> Some of you, that's heaven. Other you, that's the other place, right? <laughs> but we have a plan. We've got an incredible guy by the name of Jeff Brown that, that's gonna be contacting those. If you would take the, the Connect card right there in, in the seat, or you can also do that electronically and just say, I would like to serve, here's my contact info. We will contact you and give you a list of options that I bet you there's somewhere on there They go, hey, I... I could do that. So we're really trying to get everybody involved and connected. So uh, uh, we're just gonna keep talking about that and that's what it's about. And if you fill out that card, somebody's gonna contact you and not in an obnoxious way and we're just gonna make that opportunity to you and if you don't take it, we still love you but I just wanna encourage you to do that. There's a prayer wall here on the left-hand side of the room. I would encourage you if, if, if we can pray for you today, there'll be people that love Jesus and would love to pray for you today. Don't leave today if we can just stop and pray over you or pray with you. That's what that's for. And uh, you're gonna be released to that as soon as I release you. But until I see you again, I pray that God would bless you and keep you. I pray that God would turn his face towards you and shine his countenance on your life. And in his pocket, he's got a name just between you two, and it's gonna be amazing. Lean into that today. God bless you as you go live the life. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just want to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org, or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.